0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies
1: wherein you stand in violation? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. You are dead wrong. If you think I've come in here and told this jury something because of money, when we, we're we talking about two people who were brutally murdered, then. You're 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 headed in the wrong direction. Do you think he did it? I don't have I don't have an opinion I don't have the benefit of the materials you have
2: We are unsolved South Carolina the Murdoch's murder money and mystery. This is our podcast. I'm Ann Emerson I'm here with our exclusive legal analyst Charlie Condon He's also South Carolina's former Attorney General and we have our executive producer Drew Tripp here and we have Max Harrison, Chief VOTOG, WCIV. He's running the boards, taking care of production, fielding questions. So please let us know if you have any questions and take part in the poll. Max, where do you get the poll?
0: I can get on Twitter.
2: It's on Twitter. So please keep an eye out for the poll. We, we do it every night. Just want to know what you think. Um, starting off, that was Ronnie Crosby. And he came back as a rebuttal witness uh, in today's testimony. This is after we've had the prosecution's case. This is after the defense rested. The prosecution was allowed to come back. Why are they allowed to come back, Charlie? I think everybody would kind of yeah, like to know good, why. That's a great
1: question. Uh, as we uh, noted yesterday, I thought it was a good day for the defense in, in their case. And by the way, I should mention, if there if there was any confusion in, in the uh, verbiage yesterday about the testimony of John Marvin Murdoch, I, I did want to say, just to clarify, that, that thought that he was a great witness for the defense and did think that he was straightforward and told the, the information as he thought it to be truthfully and just thought he was just a very effective witness. And uh, any confusion on that, I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, but getting into what happened today, you heard from the leadoff witness. And each witness, I thought, as the day wore on, and it culminated, as we'll talk about, with Dr. Ken Kinsey being directly examined by the Attorney General of South Carolina, Alan Wilson. I thought they ended really strongly. And so procedurally, state goes first, they have to prove their case. The judge okayed it, the case to go on, there was no directed verdict. Now, we're in the defense case yesterday, they closed their case, so the state gets to rebut. And this got to be a little bit of a tension there with uh, the defense in that the rules are such that you only need to rebut what was newly brought up by the defense in their case. And the, and the defense claimed that the judge was allowing too many witnesses, but he he said he was going to rule on a case-by-case basis, and he ended up letting them all testify. Well, so there we were by-
2: six witnesses. We mm-hmm. heard there could be up to seven, but he allowed all of the witnesses to come forward. So this first one, Ronnie Crosby, why did they have Ronnie Crosby come back? Do you know? Wow.
1: Well, you heard we had to say it, right? It was just Oof. really powerful in terms of... Uh, you know, we've talked about this a bit about Mrs. Drew's field of expertise on <laughs> hog, hunting. The
2: hog hunting. Yeah, and he—we oh, got another day of this. hog hunting.
1: Yeah, we'll limit the testimony or the comments about hog hunting. But Ronnie was very clear on you can kill those hogs during the day, and so. But he went into much a lot a lot of other areas, and as you heard from the sound clip, he was challenged very strongly by oh. defense attorney Dick Harputley and it and it was a moment.
2: It was a moment, and he was pretty much saying, "You are impugning my integrity." Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that's what I read. We've got another clip from Ronnie. Did you have something to add before we go there? Hog hunting?
1: Kind of stay away from that, or is that too <laughs> controversial?
0: <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, I thought Ronnie, and I think Mark Ball as well. I think mm-hmm. the the overarching point of getting them back up there, because not a lot of new ground was covered with either of them. The overarching point I felt was pretty clear, though one of the last questions Creighton mm-hmm. Waters asked both of them is, did Alec Murdoch lie to your face for years? Right. And they both said, yeah, he did. It's mm-hmm. it's so evident it's, and it's they it's never blood, suspected it.
1: Basically, but I thought it was very powerful because they supposedly thought they knew him and here they're here to say that, no, we, we did not know them. it came across quite well for the state.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was, I thought it, I don't know how effective, but I thought it was smart of Dick Harpootlian to attack Ronnie Crosby um, and, and to attack his motivations and to plant that seed of doubt. Uh, and is, uh, you know, I, I, I'd let that speak for itself, but it, it was, it, whether it worked or not, whether it is going to plant that seed of doubt, but I thought he needed to do it because it's a perfect, perfectly reasonable thing for someone to think is you're just up here because you're mad because he cost you money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, let's let, let's play this other clip from Ronnie uh, Crosby because it was um, it was quite a way to sort of kick off the it day was. of rebuttal First witnesses. Witnessed. It was
1: it woke you up, didn't
2: it? It did. It completely did on both sides.
1: Yes, it was a back and forth. And, and if you're implying that I would come in here and somehow shade truth in any way because of that, that's. I would take high offense with that, Mr. Harpootlin. concerned about your high offense. Are you angry at him for stealing your money? I have no feeling one way or the other. I don't have any feeling about Alec Burdock betraying you and stealing your
2: money. That was just vintage Dick Harpootlin, in my opinion. Uh, You know, we know that he can use his voice. He barks when he's ready to tell uh, what he wants everybody to hear. He He's. He told me, and I think it's actually mm-hmm. in the intro for our podcast, he told me, I'm not here to be your friend.
1: Right, yeah, that's that's, that's Dick. By the way, I did think they established, which was the purported purpose of, of both those attorneys testifying, in that you can kill hogs during the day because yeah. they made a point that you couldn't. It had to be at night, so therefore there wouldn't have been the, the weapons in, On in the golf cart, that the, the state's theory. So. That was established. But these side moments, it got to be something. And I must say, it was quite the uh, electric moment in the courtroom. It really was.
0: Uh, I mean, just goes to show how much I know with Mark Ball and Ronnie Crosby. Of course, I don't own nearly as much Mm -hmm. land as either of those two gentlemen do Mm -hmm. and have to deal with it. Uh, But Mm -hmm. it it is it's a it's a niche problem for Mm -hmm. certain areas of certain places mm-hmm. I and I plan to have the I'm gonna plug my own social media here I'm gonna to put together a whole Twitter thread on feral pigs wild hogs and the problem that, problems they cause nuisances they have become but you know generally speaking yeah why why do they have the night vision or, or thermal mm-hmm. scopes on the rifles they are I think generally speaking easier mm-hmm. to hunt at nighttime with just because they're they're a little less wary and they mm. thrive under the cover of darkness uh, to be able to move about. But when you're operating, a and I, I'm just going to make assumptions about Ronnie and Mark Ball here, I'm willing to bet that they have a lot of cultivated land mm-hmm. uh, as far as crops, improvements for mm. food plots, for wildlife, deer, turkey, quail, uh, whatever is legal, to, legal game to hunt here in South Carolina, they probably have invested in improvements on that property and not only would it attract natural game it would it in it would attract wild pigs right. because i mean they, they they want to eat all those same things that uh, the corn and uh, different types of grain and forage and browse that you have for these these game animals that they're invested a lot of their money in to have yeah. their own little uh, not little but private game preserves yeah. Yeah. which yeah, uh, yeah it, they're a problem for not just those types, of, but any cultivated land, any farmer, any any agricultural venture like that, yeah. the hogs mm-hmm. are a huge problem.
1: Yeah. And By the way, I thought it was kind of interesting about this case, and we had so many layers in this case, but this whole hunting culture, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, wow, we've had so oh, much testimony it's... about the deer hunting, the duck hunting, the killing the hogs, and it just... It was, it's just a lot throughout the whole case, which is a bit of a surprise to me.
2: Well, and one thing that I was thinking from someone that doesn't hog hunt very often, <laughs> I have to admit, but I do, I thought it was interesting, you know, about just thinking about the geography down here. Every piece of land is different, right? Mm-hmm. So Moselle property is probably very different from the Greenfields property. Mm-hmm. That John Mark, no, maybe not. Well, maybe kind of same. All right, but like swamp land, that's where these hogs live, right?
0: To a large extent. So yes.
2: I guess what I was trying to say is you don't know how much swamp land necessarily. I mean, you can bet there's some, mm-hmm. but you don't know how much is on. Each plot of land that we're talking about, so there's also that subjectivity that I was seeing about. If we wanted to go down the hog hunting rabbit hole right now, which we just did, I think. Uh,
0: so but, uh, to, to that <laughs> end, it, think about if it's you're mixed trying metaphor, rabbit <laughs> hole, right? If you're trying to visualize, go if, ahead. if you're trying to visualize <laughs> where you'd most likely find feral pigs, wild wild hogs, whatever you want to call them, uh, imagine a map of South Carolina's rivers. And generally speaking, wild hog populations are going to closely align with watersheds and water courses Got in it. the state. And then beyond that, and, and especially here in the lower part of the state, the coastal plain, that, that's everywhere. That could be, we have things here... Uh, there's water everywhere. Even if it's not, even if it's just a little trickle, a little bog, a little something, a little pond out in the middle of a forest. It doesn't have to be swampland for there to be swampy areas. And any water source with thick timber, there's going to be hogs there. there and yeah. so that, yeah, there. That that's generally speaking, where you're going to find them. And this is, this has been this has been uh, hog hunting 101 with Charlie and Ann and Drew. <laughs> no. And thank you for joining We're us. We're going to get back
2: to the Murdoch murder trial. We just can't help it. It just keeps on coming back. And, I, and this is the last time. I swear. I swear. But but Ronnie Crosby goes. Dick and goes. You're not an expert in hog hunting. And he goes. Well, my I worry. think I am. Uh, I've killed worry. thousands of these animals. You're right. And and, and the reason we're laughing because we're not making light, obviously, of a murder trial. (laughs) But everybody in the courtroom, including I think the judge, you couldn't help. But there are everyone,
1: including including, yeah, I mean everyone. I mean everyone did. I, mean, it I know. A moment, but it was just right. one
2: of those things that you're going to look back at and think, grief. But we are going to move on. One of the things that I did want to talk about, which we all kind of scratched our heads a little bit, mm-hmm. um, why, is, why is the cell phone expert coming back to throw his phone around? Did anybody understand? <laughs>
1: We have, a of different, a we have a different opinion I mean, on this. I know, I know. So, uh, well,
2: I decided I'm going to do it because this is my personal phone, so no one at the station can get mad at me. But what do you... They were just taking it. It was, was turned <laughs> off. This is going to go off camera, so you're He's not going
1: to... He's a cell phone get... expert.
2: Okay, so it's off. Okay. The race to wake expert, I think, is what he was. Yeah. Hold on. Okay, it didn't there come go. on. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Is that proof well, of what? Tell this... me. <laughs>
0: Nope. I I don't know. I, I here was my here was my take on it. I, I felt like the the the, gaunt, the ground gained I think was a net positive for the state. I think it was net positive because what Oh well, yeah,
1: the state I mean don't you think the defense had a total defense of like hey he couldn't have thrown that phone because you would have been able to prove by your electronic gizmos mm-hmm. and data that he didn't. And the right. state shot that to pieces by this this two day I, I yeah I mean we're kind of laughing about it because I do think that I mean certainly set the stage here you had this uh, this trained expert from Char, by the, different county Charleston County mm-hmm. and he apparently mm-hmm. got involved with helping I'm assuming the solicitor's office out of out of Buford out of out of the 14th Circuit mm-hmm. how he got involved but anyhow he, he 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 was qualified as an expert in cell phone
0: forensics. Yeah, nice. And they made a big deal of that when they brought him back up there. That he was an expert in cell phone forensics. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. We're we're a little bit punchy tonight. <laughs> So, so they brought him up there, and, they, and they, they qualified him as an expert in cell phone forensics, and they went through this whole whole long spiel again that we've heard so many times in this trial. And you, what are your qualifications? And then, and then what it amounted to is they had this expert witness, uh, a forensics expert, he sat in, his, sat in a room all weekend and threw his phone around. And have, two is days. This case. But
1: think about this. I mean, this, the defense qualified him as an
0: expert. Yes and not at an expert in throwing your phone around which <laughs> then sets then set the uh, then set the defense off but, like, Phil Barber got up there on a holy mission and he's like so you're telling us that he first he moved to have all of all of Mac, Paul McManagle's testimony as an expert stricken because he, he was not an expert in the subject matter to what he was testifying to.
1: Which was throwing your phone.
0: Throwing your phone around and the the mechanics and uh, and inner workings of, of raised yeah. to wake.
1: And I, I mean really I shouldn't be laughing because this is a murder trial but I did think it was brilliant by this I know you and I disagree on this but he, he got qualified as an expert. Judge so Newman said you didn't object and it is true. I, I suppose, uh, you know, really, probably an eighth grader could have done this. I, I agree with that. But think what the evidence he got in. He, he was able to 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 show me at least how
0: the defense and could have pulled this off. And that's the yeah, that's the net positive. Yeah. He got it in. I, I just. But it's such a like he didn't uh, to the to the defense's point. He didn't document any of this. He didn't create a oh, report. Yeah. He didn't video himself doing it. He didn't write anything down. And, but the logical rebuttal to that is, well, Mr. Harputley and Mr. Griffin, Mr. Barber, where are all the reports from your expert witnesses? Yeah. They, they didn't have any either. They
1: could have had a, sur- it's called a surrebuttal. They could have rebutted to the defense's rebuttal. And I I, I, I know they had someone throw that phone at lunchtime. Yeah. I have to think that.
2: Now we're all wondering yeah. if, if during jury deliberations, they're gonna be, we're going to be hearing no, yeah, them throwing I mean, their it's, phone it's, around. It's
1: a, it's a fact now, I think, established for the jury. And so... It really, I thought, helped the state because I was troubled by that. I thought, well, wouldn't his phone wake up? And he said basically nine nine times out of ten when he did it like a Frisbee, it didn't turn on. What's (laughs) it called? Rise to wake yeah. And, and if you awake. tumbled it, raised awake. raised awake. If you tumbled it, didn't he say like half the time? But yes. if you
2: pick up your phone like this, it's supposed to turn on, so which it does.
1: Yeah. Just and like so that? for them to get that, I don't know. I, I know we disagree on that. I do think the form may not have been like perfect, but the substance was, I thought, terrific.
0: Yeah. Again, net positive. Yeah, I think you
1: could have. Worth it. And I actually think, I mean, to me, if I were the judge, which of course I'm not, I think you could have anyone testify to that by saying, sure. I threw my phone. Then it might have been a little more dicey because they would have gotten into maybe the engineering aspects of this thing. Maybe it wouldn't have come in. So I thought it was just brilliant by the city. Got him qualified as an expert, just Newman said you didn't object, and here we are. Over the weekend I threw my phone didn't he say like for hours? Yes. Hours.
2: Friday and Saturday.
1: hmm So it was I thought good good evidence for so the state. Another
2: another thing that the the state had the opportunity to bring back one of their Key witnesses, really key witnesses. This is uh, Dr. Ken Kenzie. He's also the chief deputy uh, at the sheriff's office over in Orangeburg, right Mm -hmm. up the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, Has a very um, good rapport already from the first time he testified with the jurors. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of watching that. Um, Now, this was his opportunity to look at what was presented by the defense for how Paul was shot at the feed room, Um, there's the big controversy here are two points, really, in my opinion. It's not just the fact that The Mm. defense's expert was saying that it was a Mm -hmm. contact shot to the head. Mm -hmm. It was also the angle of which he had to shoot in order to. Right.
1: And the two shooter theory too.
2: And the two shooter theory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And and it was. So we're going to play this clip. If you're watching this on the live stream, you can see it as well. But the attorney general, Alan Wilson, our sitting attorney general, um, It did this rebuttal witness. He was the direct on this rebuttal witness of Dr. Ken Kinsey. And so they actually acted it out using, once again, pulling out the gun.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit
2: back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: The defense agreed with the assessment
1: that Paul stood there for a moment, bleeding down his injured left arm, and he slowly walked toward the door. Okay, and what does the shooter do? The shooter's coming in the door. And then what does the shooter do? He shoots Paul in the back of the head after he passes him. Okay, and then shoots Paul in the back of the head like this, and where does the blood spatter go? The blood spatter, the pellet defects, and one that I didn't know about that the expert collected was in the door frame at the top of the door.
2: Well, that was incredible. Um, the way they acted it out is actually very, I mean, once again, definitely feel like I'm a visual oh, learner. It helped mm-hmm. me. What'd y'all think?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to say to an interest of full disclosure, I mean, when I was Attorney General, Allen was an intern for me and I've known him for years. I'm a huge supporter of his. So, I mean, please, please know that. But I, I did think that it was, I think a bit of a risk, right? He was been oh, at, yeah. the, at the table for weeks and weeks now. And to take the last witness, which is probably one of the key, if not the key, witnesses for the state in a high-profile case, but I thought he was just lights out in his direct examination, very powerful. And I thought particularly effective was the demonstration uh, in the doorway with mm-hmm. how the weapon could not have been pointed. And he got permission from the witness and to
2: and he never really put it right in his head. I was right. kind of waiting for that moment, and he, he brought the gun down next to him, right, yeah. which was the smart thing yeah. to do, I yeah. think, yeah, in light of mm-hmm. what we know, mm-hmm. that would have been a little mm-hmm. too much. But yes, mm-hmm. I just thought it was very effective because mm-hmm. once again, you were trying to understand. I Until he did that, I didn't totally see what he was saying about the shooter would have had to come around into the feed room. I didn't really get that until I saw uh, Attorney General Wilson do that.
0: Right, I agree. It was excellent, excellent, excellent point, and it was a very non-technical, non-mumbo jumbo way of explaining what they had been talking about for so long. And one of the big points that was made in all of this was the void, the void, the blood spatter void, right? Where there was not, there was the absence of blood spatter. like a a line of demarcation a a clear line where there is no blood and then after which there's tons of blood and the defenses expert tried to make the point uh palmbach i think was his name tim palmbach tried to make the point that oh it could that could easily be explained by the shooter standing there and then you have two grown men go stand in a doorway together and you well you you see how absurd it is, you see how absurd it is. And yeah, while while one theory is technically probably possible, what's the more reasonable and plausible theory, which is that the reason that blood spatter void was there is that Paul's body was in the way and beside the door, not that the shooter somehow got past him and walked behind him to get that angle to then account for. And, and what he really did, and, and I brought this point up, yeah, yesterday's episode, which just how implausible and absurd to me it seemed, the whole theory of the shot went into Paul's body with such force that it blew straight back up the barrel of the gun and possibly injured the gunman and then lodged into the door frame and dented the door and, and damaged right. the door, which just does not...
2: Drew, I swear you channeled King Kinsey. When you said that last night, you basically said the argument that Dr. Kinsey I used know, on the sand. Did you hear that? Same thing,
0: yeah. I mean, that I was listening to that, up. and I was
2: like, that is, because you're a hunter. Right. You understand how pellets work.
0: Yes. Uh So, Kenzie, uh, Kenzie, elaborate. He touched on this point a little bit. One thing that you might have, uh, with one thing that you have with steel shot, which is what we're talking about here, that the what they, what the state believes was the fatal wound to Paul was from a number two steel birdshot load, waterfowl load, uh, out of a shotgun. Um, Steel pellets have. they're very, very, very hard. Uh, and Kenzie touched on this, is when you're, you're, you're advised when you're at a target range or you're sh- mm-hmm. uh, often on shooting ranges, they use steel targets. They, they use a little steel plate and you are typically shooting a lead projectile, a lead bullet. And when that lead hits that steel, it flattens out into a pancake disc and falls straight to the ground whether it's a little tiny BB-sized uh, lead pellet or it's an actual bullet from uh, like a rifle or a pistol. Um, it's going to flatten, uh, lead is going to flatten out and it's going to fall straight to the ground. Steel, bouncing off steel, is a danger and steel, when it bounces off steel, will bounce back. And you're advised not to shoot steel shot at close range on a when you're using steel targets on a on a professional shooting range or an at home shooting range because of the it's it's like the trampoline effect he's talking about but we're not talking about someone shooting steel into steel here we're talking about them shooting steel into human the human anatomy tissue bone it's not going to bounce back like that. It, it, it just does, it's physics, it doesn't work like that. And Kenzie even threw out a statistic. He said it, it's like eight or 10, it, the the rebound of a blowback is like eight or 10% of the force of what the actual shot was. So if the shot is propelled at however many hundreds of feet Per second, over a thousand feet per second. I think he said it was like 1,400 feet per second is what that number two waterfowl load is the muzzle velocity is coming out of the barrel. It's only going to come back at eight to 10% of that, which is not enough for it to just, it's just not enough for it to lodge, uh, cause the damage that it did. And it was just completely anecdotally and scientifically, it is completely Mm. just. Absurd and illogical, and I think Kinsey did a good job of articulating that from both perspectives, talking to the layperson and talking in terms of what the science and the literature supports. Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. But I thought his well, eight to ten percent was on the blood stuff. But regardless, I thought he was very powerful. I mean, I thought it you're, was you're just, right. I, I think he won the day for the well, state on it, that point.
2: Well, and because it's it's a it's a he said she said or a he said he said mm-hmm. argument. You know, as we've been going through the prosecution, the defense, I really feel like the prosecution the defense are giving two different arguments aren't they and that the jury's going to have to decide who they believe
1: yeah and dr reimer do you think about her too because she was well
2: i and we have a clip to play oh, have, which is okay. which is really good, good too because dr reimer wound came wound. back Remer? reimer, reimer? reimer?
0: I, I think it's i think reimer? it's i've heard it mostly pronounced Reimer. reimer. I, I will say that ken kenzie dovetailed very nicely it with, it with her yeah. and and she said him and maybe we should have played her first but uh, strong in her own right. And I think another example of Dick Harputley and getting somebody riled up, she wanted to tell him about himself uh, today. She, did you see her body language? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, she looks yes. like she's ready to tangle. She
2: does not like to be told that she's wrong.
0: Especially when because she she's, knows she's you know, right.
2: Right. And I think uh, you definitely felt that. This is, um, she said it over, to, over and over again, sh- this is her place of expertise, this mm-hmm. is what she does. And she knows what she knows. Um, Basically, I wanted to set up the clip just a little bit and also to let you know that there is a strong language because she's a pathologist and she's talking about some very strong Mm -hmm. subject matter here. We're talking about Paul again. The reason they're trying to nail this down is because if it was a contact shot, it had to be shot from a specific angle that would have taken us into a very different direction for the defense. Um, She is very clear about what she did as a pathologist with Paul when she examined him. And she says this is no contact shot. So let's hear what she has to say.
0: 20 plus years of experience doing autopsies and seeing contact gun shot contact shotgun wounds to the head, which are associated with massive gas expansion in the skull. This entire face, he would have had tears. The you know eyes would have been either hanging down or lost, blown out. Um, there's no way that this these features are consistent with a contact shotgun wound to the head. There you go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought it was established both with uh, her testimony and Dr. Kinsey went through his experience with this, his, and it was gruesome, his, his his direct experience with seeing gunshot wounds to the head. And you know, pardon the person, i never f- forget the day uh, as part of, I think it was training for prosecuting cases in general. Uh, I had to sit through a, as I recall, it might've been a full day. It was a long period of time in which They showed you pictures of the damage done through different weapons and it really sticks with you. But he had personal experience with it and going to crime scenes and he said, didn't he say someone killed themselves right in front of him yes, with a shotgun he did. in the head. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very powerful. Mm. Basically they're saying hey, the damage to, the, to his brain would have been quite different if it were a contact wound. Both of them said that and I thought they were very believable.
0: I, I thought Ken. It, coming off of Doctor Reamer, she was, she was, I, I, I think that's the word I would use is unflappable. She was mm-hmm. undaunted, but because Dick Harputlian came after her, and he he, it, it wasn't quite as, it wasn't quite as impassioned as his, his assault on, and I use the. I, I use assault euphemistically; it, it mm-hmm. wasn't a literal sense. But he really came hard after Ronnie Crosby, to uh, uh, with a much different tone. Right. But he, he, it was more persistence and doggedness that he came after Dr. Reimer with, and she met him force for force, and could not. And while she conceded, while she yes, yeah, and while she conceded yes, different pathologists might have differing opinions on what what they saw she is the one who did the full autopsy she is the one who viewed the full picture and it's important to note we've heard from several witnesses now from the the defense is called they were not always given the full picture they were given selective pieces of information from the defense to uh, about which to from which to base their opinions yeah from the state you're saying no go ahead uh, the 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 defenses expert witnesses have testified they weren't given full That's case reports. Yeah, they only got like,
2: parts from the right. state, not from the defense.
0: And she and her point was, if you had seen what I had seen, you put your hands on the bodies, you taken this whole thing into context, you would have come to no other conclusion. And some of the reasoning that these experts, uh, Eisenstadt and uh, Palmbach, used to make their determinations and their opinions are not based on the full picture, and they're a bit dubious for other reasons, uh, scientifically. Yeah.
1: And by the way, I thought that, um, kudos again to General Wilson, I thought, did did you notice how he would not use those graphic pictures with with, uh, his expert? And I thought that was some really good taste, because the jurors have seen enough of it. And again, I can remember the day that day I spent, I can't remember it was a several hours of the full day, but it just sticks with you. So I really had the, the feeling from these jurors that, boy, we've had enough of the pictures, mm-hmm. and there's it no need to do was a very
2: good call, I mm-hmm, thought. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and what also I found interesting about um, our pathologist today was that she did not uh, make any bones, did not apologize really uh, for not doing certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, Dick's job is to poke holes in the way she Uh, did this autopsy report and one of them was that there was no brain x-ray to see how many pellets were in there I just liked the way uh, she was able to um, stay on track and she did not uh, she didn't make any bones about if she didn't do something. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a, a an effective part, and that's why I bring it up, is like I, I found it very effective that she wasn't apologizing for what she didn't do, because she obviously, if you've done 5,500 autopsies, you have a method.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I just thought that was interesting, for good or for bad or for worse, it was nice to hear some witnesses up there that, that really knew what they were doing.
0: Yeah, and she did say, she did say that in hindsight she wishes she'd have taken more pictures right. and done, done more that. but that was but, it, but it was the it was she said and she was emphatic she that it. she didn't need to. Uh, she it could have avoided a lot of what the strife in her life and the strain in her life from having to come up here and do this over and over again and the well, time commitment <laughs> but it, she that's... felt she was uh, she was on solid footing with it.
2: Well, and I have a a question from a viewer um, that had reached out to me. Uh, They said, there's been a great discussion about the sloppy sled work and the Murdoch murders. Do you think the sloppy investigative work was initially purposeful to help cover up for the powerful Alec Murdoch in case he were charged with these murders? I know that's sort of a loaded question, but I think it's interesting to talk about whether or not that is what is being used by the defense. Defense on some level, or the state on some level, how is that this the the idea that there are issues with the sled investigation? How does that sort of wind its way into this?
0: I don't think I think neither side wants to touch that with a ten foot pole <laughs> uh, because and, and you think of it first from the defense's perspective, they can't have it both ways. They can't have it be that sled was did a terrible job and oh also sled did a terrible job because my because our client was uh privileged and uh got special treatment that we've made a big point of trying to say that he actually didn't get a get that kind of treatment and that he was just joe blow every man who happened to make tens of millions of dollars um uh, and for the state you you're you don't have a case if you're the state you don't have the case that you have right now without sled in the College county sheriff's office and i i have you know, been pretty forthright in just my assessment that I, uh, for sure, I think there were missed opportunities and probably if we're, if they're looking at it objectively, SLED would say some failures in how they, in how they did the case. But that is not, that doesn't outweigh the totality of what they did come up with and what they have been able to prove uh, to a large extent, which what they have shown, if I, from a casual observer standpoint, I think the Evidence suggests what the state suggests at this point, and that the state has no case without what the work sled has done. That, yeah. And, yeah. And neither of them wants to go there. But I'm and I'm not going to speculate on it. I I, I, no. I can't because well, it, it, the idea is out there, it, it, it's it's certainly
1: thing. And I think I, I think I hear where you're coming from, but I'm completely confident and I. You know, it's interesting for me because I have an active uh, law practice, criminal defense practice, and as these lead agents came up, I thought, oh, I had a case with him or her, with mostly, actually, there's several agents, and I've dealt with them before. I'm completely confident that the agents had full integrity in this investigation, 100% confident. Now, I do think this may have happened. If You step back from this, they get this call, and I do think that there might have been some in hindsight, undue deference given to Alec Murdoch because it was just unthinkable, right? Mm-hmm. They they show up there like son and wife, and so there might have been a little bit of a of a, in hindsight, they might have regretted the deference mm-hmm. by yeah. not going into the house and seizing the home and treating well, him and as a suspect from Almeida. from the first moment. Yeah, and not searching me I think that might have happened, but that was a misstep. I don't think anything to do with any sort of plan to help him or anything related to character. Mm-hmm but I think it might have been the sort of the, the setting that, that, that occurred. And also, you know, we need to talk about this a little bit, too, because you had the local sheriff recuse himself, but you did have, correct me if I'm wrong, but the local circuit solicitor, who I think highly of, but he was there, wasn't he, like the next morning or pretty mm-hmm. soon on the scene? Mm-hmm. With Dylan
2: so, Hightower.
1: Yeah, to help his Facilitate. assistant. Facilitate, right. Well, I think he was there, don't you think, to help find the killers of his assistant's yeah. uh you know, th- so the mindset, I think, initially was, which, you know, it's, it's again, I'm sure they regret this. But they came around as soon as the evidence showed its, uh, its, its head here pretty quickly that, wait a minute now, he is definitely in the circle. And I think that Agent Owens, who I've known, I think he's got the highest integrity. I think he had him in the circle from day one, but probably in the initial, mm-hmm. st- and I haven't talked about this, but I'm assuming in the initial scene and going there, it was just unthinkable. Why? Would, how could he kill his son and his wife? Just so I think that might have been the set.
0: And to to dig deeper on this question in particular, I think we are at a point in this trial from the outsider's perspective. Uh, You're not on the jury. You're not part of the prosecution. You're just an observer at this point. We're observers too. we're reporting what we see and trying to be as objective and as fair and balanced as we possibly can be in how we're reporting it and how we're analyzing it on platforms like this, where we're giving somewhat of our opinions. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people's minds are made up and have been made up for a long time. And they you will see what you want to see Mm -hmm. at at a certain point and check yourself realize that we all do it It, it's we all have our biases we all have our we all have our life experiences and our perceptions of things and sometimes we believe what we want to believe i would just be cautious of uh, To quote waylon jennings be be careful of something that's exactly what you want it to be uh and that that's uh that's uh, something when you're consuming media as well if you're not if you're being told exactly what you want to hear and it's affirming everything you already believe that's a red flag um and i think just to be cautious in that when you're trying to form your own opinions in what you're hearing about this case and about these people involved, and the the facts as they are, take everything with a grain of salt. Don't don't take my word for it just because I'm from Walterboro or something like this, or or take Charlie's word for it. Take Charlie's word for it.
2: Take of, word for it. Uh, but, <laughs> Please take Charlie's <laughs> oh, word. Yeah,
0: yeah. We cool we, do appreciate, right of it uh, you, we do appreciate you you all tuning in and listening to us, and if we're not giving you that uh, like this specific question about, uh, do we think that the Murdoch's influence could have played, of played a role in this and, and we're not harping on that point. It's because it's impossible for us to speculate on that point. Um, and it would be unwise for us to speculate on that point. Uh, there certainly may be evidence, to suggest that, if taken from a three thousand feet in the air view, uh, and you're looking back over a history of behavior and things like that with this this family and others in the Fourteenth Circuit and uh, whatever, if you're looking for something like that, you're going to find it. Right, but well, it may not necessarily be there. Yeah.
1: Well, if you could step back to it a little bit, I, I I've sort of reflected on the last five or six weeks. I think it's sort of the majesty of the American legal system. Here you have the state of South Carolina putting in immense resources to bring, from their perspective, to bring to justice somebody who's extremely prominent. And I don't know, I thought stepping back from this is, wow, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't happen in many parts of the world, let's put it that way, where this would occur, and it's all done in open court. We get to talk about the, uh, the pitfalls of what hasn't or hasn't been done, free speech in this country, and this defendant has, has able counsel representing him he's got a jury of his peers sitting there and i thought i think the system's working
2: and i think it's absolutely fascinating to to take us where we're going we've got tomorrow we expect the jury is going to be going at nine thirty in the morning to go visit the crime scene at moselle Uh, They will be accompanied by a small amount of the lawyers, from what I understand. The judge is also going to be going. Um, This is going to be a very secure setting. We've already been told there's going to be high security with this. Uh, They will be coming back to uh, the courthouse to um, get the closing arguments. Mm -hmm. We have closing arguments on both sides. They can also do two closing arguments, and you said... Yeah, I don't
1: have time to talk about the law stuff here, but maybe we can save that. I don't know. But there's some interesting back back and forth on jury charges, Mm -hmm. on accomplice liability, and uh, what's called mayor presence. That's going to be tactically extremely important, I think, for both sides. And there'll be a discussion about that, I think, in open court. And uh, that's... But
2: without the jury present.
1: Correct. I don't know if we have time to talk about this, but I think both sides have important decisions to make on how they want the judge to... Charge the law in South Carolina, and short comment, it is possible for the state to ask for what's called hand of one, hand of all, if they want to give credence to any degree to the defense that there must have been two shooters, because it still can make Alec Murdoch guilty of murder if he is... uh, The hand of one is the hand of all. If he's actively involved, it's called accomplice liability. That's the kind of short version that uh, is typically used in uh, in both the charge and in the uh, jury argument. But tactically, do they do that? Because it undercuts their theory of the case. But I'm thinking that it might be wise to do it because they had one expert that said there had to be two shooters. Fine, if you buy that argument, a little little dig intended, right, because it's a paid expert. If you buy that one, fine. Uh, but he still was actively involved, so find him guilty. And the other sort of back and forth on this is defense, I would think, would ask for the judge to say if the defendant's merely present, well known law in South Carolina, but not actively involved, he's not guilty of, of anything or, or murder, certainly. But you know, if you think of the testimony, he, he did testify that he wasn't there at the times of the murder. So the state can say, Judge, the evidence doesn't warrant that mere presence charge because uh, he himself says he wasn't there. But having said that, I think if they requested, I would think Judge Newman, in the interest of caution, would allow that charge to be had by, by the defense. So there'll be fastening fascinating back and forth on this, a little overview on, on the procedure, uh, jury selection. I mean, jury visit tomorrow, they come back. I think we're going to have an open court discussion on, on jury charges But then in South Carolina, the way this works is since the defense put in evidence, the state has to open fully on what's called the fully in the law and the facts. And so they have to discuss thoroughly their version of events, facts, and the applicable law fully. Now, that can be a bit of an argument on what's fully. And then the defense gives their full argument on law and facts. And the state's only allowed to reply to new information that the defense argues in there are closing arguments, and you can imagine how that can be a little mm. bit uh, gray on what, what do you mean new or not new. So I anticipate both sides, will, which is a little bit unusual because it's considered a little bit uh, discourteous. But I think you'll see some lawyers standing up during closing argument saying, I object." Oh and we'll see how that goes. But that could get going a good bit uh, potentially tomorrow afternoon. This is
2: all happening tomorrow. That's all I want to ask. Like, How in the world is this all going to happen tomorrow? Judge
1: Newman at the close of the court did have, a, I thought, a very robust, optimistic schedule. Mm-hmm. I don't see how it can all be done in a day. I think we're going to bleed over until the day after tomorrow, but who knows?
0: Charlie, I have a question briefly. Would this hand of one, hand of all charge Would that be something discussed in front of the jury as far as the the charging deliberations?
1: Absolutely, yeah, the tactical, first of all, does the state request it? Because that that is a huge tactical decision. I'm confident we're discussing that, that, hey, do we ask for that or not? Because it, it, in a way, undercuts what they believe happened. You heard General Wilson say, our theory is one shooter. But I thought to myself, well, why not request it? Because they have an expert saying it. And just, I don't know, you talk to people, they have a hard time understanding how one person could have done it. Right. So to me, it allows any potential jurors that have some questions about it being one shooter a way to vote for guilty. And I, if I'm prosecuting, whether it's... Two shooters or one shooter. So long as I get a guilty verdict on murder, you know, mission accomplished from my standpoint. But it's a and so the way that would work is they have to make the decision whether to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they don't ask for it, I'm confident Judge Newman won't give it
0: on his own. Well, would they be able to ask for it without outside of the jury's presence? Because yeah, all I, this is
1: done all I, without anticipate, the jury. Anticipate without the jury being there. that We're going to have this interesting back and forth because I think Judge Newman, a lot of judges do this in chambers. Mm-hmm. And it's not public, but I've noticed he has a huge preference for everything in public that's discussed in public. They did have one uh, visit today, today back in Chambers, but I think that might have been unrelated on okay. what we're talking about. I think it may have been related At to e. some other issue. But um, uh, so I think we'll have a fascinating back and forth about a, maybe come back about 11 or so, which is before yeah. I think the jury gets back. So I think we'll hear that. So there'll be a decision on what he's going to charge. He'll tell them. And then they'll craft their arguments based upon the charge that they know is coming. Most lawyers think that it's good to quote in your closing arguments, you know, give the law is going to be as Judge Newman gives it to you, but I believe he's going to tell you this. And if you have the parrot, the same language as the judge gives to the jury charge, it's belief, which I think is true, that gives you credibility, like you're in the know with the judge.
0: Right. I'm just visualizing, I think... Judge Newman turning to that jury and introducing the idea of hand of one, hand of all to them and saying, ladies and gentlemen, you have heard testimony in this trial from an expert witness saying they believe that there were two shooters involved. I want to tell you now about the hand of one hand of all theory, which says that anyone involved is guilty. I think that's a lot. There's no risk to the state if Judge Newman is the one introducing the idea to them. because that makes it seem impartial and, uh, but I I guess that's where I'm just, do they have to make that call in front of the jury to ask? No, they don't. They have to swallow their pie a bit
1: though, right? Because I think they believe they've proven one shooter. But But how would the jury ever know
0: where it came from?
1: True. But yeah, in other words, you know, they've, an opening statement. Did, did Creighton Waters commit to one shooter? He committed to Alec doing both. Okay, so he did. So you have to swallow his pride a little bit on that. And say that, hey, you know, there's been some testimony. If you want to believe that, you still can find him guilty. So I don't know. If it, I'm very interested just from a legal standpoint whether they do it tomorrow or not. We'll, we'll find out.
2: Tomorrow we will find out a lot and we'll see how long that day lasts. Just join us afterwards. We'll be here tomorrow night to tell you everything. That we know, and
1: Which, see what uh, happens. What well, some might say is not much, but we're trying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but we'll tell you everything we know, anyways. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us, and be sure to send us questions if we didn't answer what you needed to hear. Thanks.